to talk to you about breaking the power of pornography. Breaking the power of pornography. I I texted a a friend of mine who comes to church here. I said, do you think this is too specific? He said, no, this is what needs to be talked about. This is a major, major issue. And I've been doing quite a bit of reading and uh, praying, of course. And I'm, I'm just mad at the devil. I guess you could say, and we really need to be, and we need to talk about how real this issue is. One of the things that we're going to have to be very aware of is the sacredness of the body, the sacredness of the imagination. Uh, Sometimes I think we can take a rather, not hyper, but exclusively spiritual approach to certain kinds of sin, and we neglect the reality that sin can have on our minds, uh, the reality, the real effect that it has on our bodies, and how these, there's an interplay By God's design, there's an interplay. People who have, for example, people who have suffered abuse uh, will generally experience a lot of spiritual challenges later on in their lives because the body is sacred. And when it's taken advantage of, when it's treated abusively, when it's not given the dignity that it deserves, that does affect your soul. And the issue we're dealing with today is just one other example of that interplay that we experience as human beings. So if you would open up to the book of Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, I just want to pray very briefly, and then we're going to go to the Word of God. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you for your help this afternoon. God, I'm praying that you would give me your wisdom and your heart. Lord, I I want to sound like you as I talk about this. Lord, it's uh, it's a difficult topic because your Word tells us that we are to expose darkness. We are to call sin for what it is. But at the same time, your Word warns us that it's a shame Uh, to speak of things that are done by the wicked in secret. And God, this is certainly a secretive act. And Lord, I pray that you would give us poise. I pray that you would give us discretion as we talk about these things. Lord, may we never cross a line into irreverence as we discuss this. God, this is your holy house. This is your holy word. But Lord, our bodies and our imaginations are holy unto you as well. And they're being defiled. They're being hijacked by an incredible evil. And so Lord, I'm asking that you would give us wisdom. Lord, I'm praying that you would give us your power to be set free and to be transformed and to live the life that you've called us to live. We love you, Jesus. And we ask all these things in your precious name. Amen and amen. The problem that we're dealing with is not necessarily unique, but we are facing some dynamics that I think are unique. The world has always dealt with Impurity. It's always dealt with sexual immorality and fornication. That's not a new problem. But what we're facing today that I think is very unique is you can now indulge yourself, indulge your most animalistic desires in a way that is secretive, where there's no accountability whatsoever. Uh, It can be totally unknown. You can be completely anonymous. You can access it anywhere, literally, if you have the right technology. You, You don't need to suffer the potential embarrassment of being seen walking into an adult bookstore or or going into a gentleman's club where everybody knows what you're about and what you're out to do. You can be totally secret. You can be totally anonymous. And that's extremely dangerous. We are able to sin without shame. We are able to sin without consequences. I was trying to gather some good teaching material and things to reflect on in preparing for today. I, I came across a a brief dialogue between a, a, a representative from Men's Health magazine and a representative from Women's Health magazine. And 
you know, they were talking about how pornography is not exclusively a male thing anymore, that girls like to watch it too. And they were actually encouraging couples, said, you know, guys, you should invite your girlfriend to come watch it with you. And, you know, they were giving advice on how to enter that conversation, how to start that, make that offer uh, to your girlfriend. And this is the hour that we're living in. We are utterly shameless, utterly shameless. And the thing that I've been amazed by as I've been researching this is the effect that pornography use actually has on us, even physically. The effect that it has on us neurologically, your brain actually gets shaped and rewired in a way when we use, it pornog- uh, when we use pornography consistently and habitually. And if you'll direct your attention to the screen, this is the point that we're going to start on. We're going to get to Romans 12, but I want to lay a foundation first. Pornography hijacks and modifies your thinking and behavior. That's our first critical point. Pornography hijacks and modifies your thinking and your behavior. Listen to this quote from William Struthers in his book, Wired for Intimacy. He says, Purity is as much a matter of the mind as it is of the body, and it is important not to separate the two. The thoughts we think affect our body. The behaviors that we engage in affect our thinking. The interaction between thought and body is rooted in the neurobiology of the brain. Thoughts and behavior are woven together and intertwined with one another. This is how pornography and unhealthy sexuality pollutes the brain and the body together. Every time that you and I choose, and now thank God it's been 10 years since I last used the stuff, but any time that we as people engage in the usage of pornography, we are allowing these images, these videos, this content to rewire us on a neurological level. Your brain is being wired by something else, by a very dark evil force every time you choose to use it. It affects your thinking, it affects your behavior. Something that's sacred is being turned into a commodity for your secret and selfish consumption. That's the problem with it. Rather than us seeing sex as God intended, it's the ultimate prize that you win after you have earned the trust of another person. After you have done everything to assure them that no matter what happens in life, you will stand by them. And that faithfulness, that covenant loyalty is what entitles you to their body. Now, that sacredness has been turned into just, you turn it off and turn it on. Get it anytime you want, anywhere you want. And guess what? When you're done looking, when you're done pleasuring yourself, there's no for better, for worse attached to this. You can just throw it out. Get another magazine. Find a new video. Something sacred that's meant to express the beauty of God's relationship to mankind in the marriage covenant has been totally corrupted into this cheapened form of self-gratification. It's been totally... The beauty of it has been taken away. This is a big problem. Pornography is wrong. It is sin. There is nothing healthy about it. There is nothing good about it. It is to be rejected. It is to be demonized. And it is to be opposed by the church of Jesus Christ. We've got to stand up against it. I don't like talking about topics like this for the sake of being shocking and getting people's attention or sounding relevant. Whatever that means as though Jesus wasn't relevant before. Look, I see this because it's gripping people's lives. It's ruining marriages. I have multiple people come to my office throughout every school year. Everybody's saying, how do I stop watching this stuff? How do I stop looking? I love being on this campus. I've got to give up my phone and my computer. I'm cut off from it. But, but what about when I get it back? What do I do? How am I going to survive when I get back out there? These are real fears. 
because it's like, it's gripping. You know, I didn't write the quote down, but in Struthers' book, Wired for Intimacy, he talks about how when you view pornography, it actually unleashes what he calls a hormonal tsunami that actually affects your judgment, your ability to make good decisions. It's like it grips you and you can't say no. This is a powerful demonic force that we're up against, and we've got to talk about it. It hijacks and it modifies our thinking and behavior. And the first way that it does that, if you look again at the screen, it teaches us to believe that sex is all about self-fulfillment. It teaches us to believe that sex is all about self-fulfillment. Again, something sacred is being turned into a commodity. There are no vows that you exchange with pornography or the actresses and the actors that are involved in it. You are simply being pleased by somebody else's bondage. That's all that it is. It's undignified. There's nothing noble or honorable about it. The second way that it hijacks and it modifies our thinking and behavior is it conditions us to live dominated by and unfulfilled in our sexual urges. It conditions us, again, if you'll look at the screen, it conditions us to live dominated by and unfulfilled in our sexual urges. Sorry, I'm usually a little better with my cues. I'm not nervous, though. It's not that. It conditions us to live dominated by and unfulfilled in our sexual urges. Again, as I said, your brain is being rewired when you use it. It's being rewired. And the reason why this happens, the reason why it's not just your thinking but your behavior is because sex and intimacy are meant to be thought of as one thing, but pornography divorces them. There is no intimacy in the sexual union of pornography. In the use of it, there's no intimacy whatsoever. And that's automatically destructive in human relationships. For men, the typical effect is you begin to see all women as as sex objects. They are all potential partners for you to undress and undignify in your mind. It turns your brain into a studio where you can make your own fantasies. And you begin to act on it. You you begin to, to indulge in it. And for the women, women who use pornography, the effect is kind of similar. But it's still this divorcing of sex and intimacy. Two things that are meant to be bonded together. It's not there. For women, you become captivated by your own fantasies. You, you can't really become aroused without them. When women who are married begin to indulge in this, they actually cannot engage in union and intimacy with their husbands unless they start fantasizing. You become a prisoner. This is what it does. And this is not stuff I'm spiritually theorizing on. I don't have chapter and verse for you to go to. This is actually what is being discovered by professionals who are working with with neurobiology and other such fields. It's damaging. And we've made it into a game. I read the the story of a a lady over the, uh, as I was preparing for this, just again, coming across different, really Christian websites. You you search certain things on Google. You don't know what's going to pop up. You got to be careful. You know, and thank God, I came to this one particular website I found very helpful. A lady posted her testimony on there about how her husband, uh, you know, they both had a fascination with it, and they decided, well, we'll watch it together. And, you know, so they would indulge, and they thought it was enhancing their marriage. One day she found him indulging by himself. It devastated her. It destroyed her. Because for her, she thought, isn't there intimacy in this? There is no love in pornography. There is no commitment. There is no dignity in it. It is entirely selfish. It trains you to be selfish. You cannot love selflessly if you are consistently and habitually engaging in the usage of this stuff. It's poisoning you. You lose your capacity to give your heart away. You can give your body away. That's no problem. 
You're already doing that in front of a computer screen, but you will not be able to give your heart away. You will dissociate during times that are meant to be intimate with your spouse. This is the poison that it's bringing into us. This is why we've got to stand against it. It conditions us to live dominated by and unfulfilled in our sexual urges. Because you and I, when, when people say, well, humans are sexual creatures, yes, that's true. But what does that mean? That does not mean non-relational. That doesn't mean shallow. That's not what that means. We are talking again, it's a sacred bond that God has given us the privilege of enjoying with a person we're committed to till death does us part. That's what it's for. Anything outside of that context between the union of a man and a woman saying, no matter what happens, I'm with you. Anything out of that context is sin. And when you start watching and engaging this stuff in secret, it just, it conditions selfishness. It cultivates it in you. It's all about you. It's all about your gratification. And this is why it's got to stop. It's got to stop. Now, this is where Romans 12 comes in. I just want to read the second verse. Romans 12, 2. It says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, the will of God there, just to be clear is not so much having to do with personal destiny as much as it is God's will for the Christian life. Morally speaking, what should your lifestyle and mine look like? Paul says, if you let this transformative work happen in you, you will know the difference between right and wrong according to God. You will be able to discern when something is off, when something's on point, when something's not quite right. You will sharpen that discernment when you let this process of renewal take place. So what is it? What is the renewing of the mind? What is this thing that leads to transformation so that we can be like Jesus in the age that we're living in? And again, if you'll direct your attention to the screen, the second major point we're making today is that God's spirit breaks pornography's power by renewing our minds. This is how he does it. So we've got to define what this is. We don't want to leave things in the realm of metaphor and just assume everybody knows, oh yeah, renewing your mind. I know what that is. You sure? We've got to explain it because, again, if if people really want freedom, if you really want to see this thing broken, you want details. Tell me, what do I have to do? Renew your mind. Huh? Okay, what does it mean to renew the mind? First of all, the mind in this passage has to do with three things. It has to do with your thought. It has to do with your will. And it has to do with your moral consciousness. Okay? So when Paul says mind, the Greek word he uses is nous, and it points to those three things. What are your thoughts like? How do you think? How do you see the world? It has to do with your will. What do you want to do? What are your desires? And your moral consciousness. What's your understanding of right and wrong? And Paul is basically saying that your mind needs to be reprogrammed because your thoughts are not like God's. Your will is not God's. And your moral consciousness often departs from his moral consciousness. And so because of that, people need to be renewed in their mind. Jesus needs to take, by the Holy Spirit within us, he takes what was already ingrained in us, the way we've been trained to think by our culture, the way we've been trained to desire things by the world around us, and our our, our decision about right and wrong. He takes all of that and makes it new. 
He changes it. He transforms it. So it's basically saying, like David did in Psalm 139, search me and know me, O God. Try me and know my thoughts. Test me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's how you renew your mind. You renew your mind by saying, Holy Spirit, you are allowed to go into every dark closet. You're allowed to pull out every skeleton I've hidden them. You're allowed to look at every pattern of behavior in my life and you can tell me wherever you, th- you say that I'm wrong. It's giving God free reign to correct your thinking. It's giving God free reign to change your desires. It's giving God total control over your understanding of what is right, what is wrong, what is acceptable, what is unacceptable. That's how you renew your mind. The Spirit is always ready to do that in you. A lot of it hinges on your yes, though. A lot of it hinges on your willingness to submit to that work. And if you will say yes, there will be a renewal that begins to take place inside of you. You will see things begin to change. You will begin to look at people, yourself, the world around you through a different set of eyes. God's spirit breaks pornography's power by renewing our minds. Again, if you'll look at the screen, the Holy Spirit constantly labors to change the way that we think. He's reprogramming us. He's constantly laboring to do this. And secondly, renewing your mind Renewing your mind produces spirit-empowered action against sin. Because remember, the renewal of your mind has to do with transformation, Paul says. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You let the Holy Spirit change you. You let God tell you where you're wrong. You submit to what he says is acceptable. You're going to change. You're going to be transformed. It's all going to start up here. It's all going to start in here, and it's going to work its way out through the way that you live out your life. Renewing your mind, though, it produces spirit-empowered action against sin. Because sometimes, sometimes transformation takes cooperation. Sometimes it takes agreeing with God and making necessary life changes to accommodate it. Because look, let's say for a moment you come in and you say, I need prayer to be delivered from the power of pornography. It's just got a grip on my life. It's destroying my marriage. I, I, I can't go more than a day without watching it. And these are true stories. Okay, this is reality for some people. I can't go more than a day without looking at it. I need prayer. You could get, you could get every pastor in the church, all the elders, everybody on the deacon board, the, the board to come and, and lay hands on you, pray, call down fire and everything. But if there is no willingness to go home and say, I'm going to clean out the movie cabinet. Don't, don't expect everything to be all hyper-spiritual and, and, and religious. If there is no willingness to say, all right, God, you have a value system. You're willing to give me the power I need to walk in freedom. But if I'm going to keep chains and shackles lying around my house, how long can I expect the freedom to last? How long will it be before a relapse? It's not going to take very long. Renewing your mind produces spirit-empowered action against sin. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 23 through 24. He exhorts them to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So there he talks again about being renewed in your mind, but how it leads to action, to put on the new self. In other words, I want to look like Jesus in the way that I live my life. I want to live like him. That leads to action. And this brings us to our final point. We're going to begin to wrap things up here. 
Freedom from pornography's power requires practical obedience. It requires practical obedience. If you're really being renewed in your mind, if transformative power is going to be unleashed in your life so that you can see change, there are practical things you are going to have to do if you want to see the fullness of it. You're going to have to do it. I want to give you three things that you need to do if you want to experience the, the breaking of pornography's power. You could extend this into a host of sinful habits that we fall into, but we're dealing specifically with this one today. Listen to Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 through 30. Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. In other words, the point we're drawing from this is that you need to cut off easy access to sin and direct your energies elsewhere. Now, thank God, he is not promoting mutilation. Jesus does not want anybody in this church or anyone on this globe gouging out their eyes in pursuit of holiness. That is not what he's saying. This is a hyperbole. This is an exaggeration because you're making a dramatic point that you want to drive home to the hearts of your audience. That's what you're doing. If you want to know a good way to relate it, and if you've heard me preach before in this church, you probably heard me deliver this line, but repetition's a good thing. If thy smartphone offend thee, get thee a dumb phone. If thy Netflix account causeth thee to stumble, cut it off. You binge watching too much anyway, probably. Just really, here's the deal. Having easy access to sin through, through internet access in your apartment, through a smartphone, through a Netflix account, through this, through that, if those things are a source of temptation for you, then why are you keeping them around? It's like you're living in a prison cell. You know, Jesus has unlocked the door and said, here, you can walk out. The, everything you need to live this godly life is right here. But I just feel so at home. You know, one of the first questions I ask, especially the, the young guys anymore, then when they want to talk about this issue, you know, how do, I, how do I stop dealing with this? I ask them, well, what are you entertained by? What kind of movies are you okay watching? What kind of books are you okay reading? What sort of video games do you allow yourself to play? Because some of this stuff is just downright pornographic. Don't think for a moment that, oh, I can watch an action movie. There's just a, there's just a two to three minute scene in there. Listen, if you think you're not going to be affected by that, you're lying to yourself. And I don't believe you. I don't. Because I know my heart. I know the hearts of men a little too well. You're lying to yourself. You are affected by it. And it will drag you down. If we can be lightly entertained, if we can be lightly entertained by content, trust me, it will drag you down far, much farther than you anticipated ever going. You have to cut off easy access to sin. Listen, th this thing is extremely convenient. It really is. I, I, have, I, I have a library, digital library, through a Bible software. I've got about 1,200 books on it. I have them all right here on my phone. I carry a full library with me. I can research on the go. I can study any Bible passage. Just something clicks in my mind. It's amazing. It's great. But I can also access other things, things that would make me betray my wife and my God. And it's very easy to do. And quite frankly, if that ever became a source of sin for me, if it ever became a source of struggle or temptation, I would get rid of it. Lord knows I lived, 
I, I lived almost 30 years just fine without it. Never felt like I was going to lose my mind because I didn't have a smartphone. Uh, there is no reason for me to think I am dependent on having it. I do not need it. It's not a necessity. It's convenient, but it's not a necessity at all. And guess what? Neither is yours. Neither is yours. It's not worth your soul. It's not worth your marriage. Technology is not worth that much. It's not worth that much. And my wife knows, she's allowed to tell me, if she ever felt uncomfortable, like, I, do you have to have a smartphone? I'd throw it away for her. Because that's what marriage is about. It's about laying down your life for the other person. My responsibility as a husband is to make sure she feels safe. And if she feels unsafe in our relationship, that's the first place I should be working to fix it. That's the first place I should be pastoring before I pastor anywhere else. I'm going to give an account to God for that someday. She knows she's allowed to tell me those things. And any husbands in this room, you've got to make sure your wife knows the same thing. If your wife's afraid to tell you where she's uncomfortable, you need to fix that because you're wronging her. You're sinning against her. We have to be willing to go there. It's not worth it. Gouge out the eyes, cut off the right hands. These are metaphors for anything in your life that keeps you in the grip of sin. If you've got easy access to something, it's not worth your soul. Cut it off. Cut it off. The second thing that we need to do is stay accountable and have friendships that are honest and consistent. Stay accountable and have friendships that are honest and consistent. Yes, friendship helps tremendously. We've got to get rid of this lie. This, I won't call it a lie. It's a misunderstanding we've built up that if you're really spiritual, you'll be strong enough to beat it on your own. That's not biblical. You need people. You need friends. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Stay accountable. Have someone in your life who's allowed to ask you, how are you doing? How have you done this week? Someone that you're willing to report to. Someone that you can be honest with. Preferably an older person of the same gender who can hold you accountable for where you're putting your eyes. What you're looking at. There's wonderful resources out there right now. One, one in particular is called Covenant Eyes. You can actually have your browsing history sent to another person so that you're accountable. Every time you're on the internet, there's this awareness in the back of your mind. I'm not alone right now. Another human being sees me and that actually helps. That helps tremendously. If you think that's just too restrictive, listen, it's your pride that's standing in the way of your freedom. Humble yourself and stay accountable. Humble yourself and talk to somebody. It's not worth your soul. It is not worth what it will do to you. It's not worth the dignity that you're being stripped of. And you need friendships. You need to be with people. Divert your time. So I'm telling more and more guys, they're like, I don't know how to stop. I'm, I tell them, listen, if after the first like two minutes of prayer, the urge is not going away, jog it away. You need to go for a run. Go call your buddies. Hey, let's go hang out somewhere. Just when we're alone and we're isolated, we're left alone with our thoughts. That's when we get into trouble. This is not as, as mysterious as it sounds. It's very practical. It really is. You need friendships. You need to be with people regularly, consistently. If you don't have a hobby, get one. I'm serious. There are healthy distractions for us to be engaged in, especially those of you that are still single. Stay busy. 
Stay healthily busy. Get involved with the, with the church. Get involved uh, with, with different ministries. Give your time away to something holy, not to something unhealthy. Make the break. Give yourself commitments that you have to keep. That is a healthy thing for you to do in addition to accountability. And the third and final thing that I want to exhort us to do is probably the most fundamental. Spend time with Jesus daily. Spend time with Jesus daily. You cannot, you cannot underestimate the power of time spent with the master. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We all who with unveiled, unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And I love that verse because Paul's actually talking about Bible study. It's like my favorite thing in the whole world. And he says, it actually changes you. Because when you read the whole chapter, he's talking about when you see Jesus in the Old Testament and how everything was pointing to him. The sacrificial system was about the cross and the tabernacle was about the house of his glory. And, and you're like, whoa, this is amazing. Paul says, that changes you. Spend time with him daily. Listen, life gets crazy. It gets busy, you know? Sometimes I'm having devotions as I'm going to work, like, oh, God, help me today as I teach these people, you know? Look, give him something. Be with him. There, you can access reading calendars on all these Bible apps that are out there. Set aside time. You can read through the Bible in a year, just 10 to 15 minutes a day. Beloved, do something. Don't feel like you've got to rack up hours before it matters. It doesn't matter. It's not about time. It's not about how much can you say. No, just be with him. Get in your Bible for 10 minutes. Pray for another 10 and work your way up from there. Sometimes spiritual disciplines like this are like physical muscles. No one goes into a weight room and for the first time ever, they just get on that bench and they're pumping 300. It doesn't work that way. They're, they're benching what I leg press. You know, it's like that, that takes time. That takes time. And guess what? Learning to pray, learning to study the Bible, those are disciplines that take time. And it's okay that they take time. But are you willing to give the time? Are you willing to devote the time to it? This is the most fundamental part of your life. Invest in it. Spend time with him. Be with him. You get changed every time you do. You get transformed every time you do. It's hard to see it because you live with yourself but other people are going to see it. And I can't tell you how wonderful it is the first time somebody tells you about it. The first time somebody points out, you're different. What's going on with you? You know? Your Christian friends know immediately what it is. And you just get to have some real good, hallelujah-oriented conversation and praise God for what he's done in my life. Your unsaved friends, then you just got a really good conversation started to introduce them to Jesus. Really, this is, this is very practical. Underlying all of this is the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus has lavished on us because he loves us. But now because of that power, because of what we've been given, let's take the necessary steps. If you have some things that you need to get rid of, if you've got some stuff that you need to cut off so that you can walk in purity and in holiness, beloved, you need to obey God. You need to obey God and you need to do it. If, if you have been secretive and you've been silent about the struggle, you need to open up to somebody. If you've been secretive and indulging, you need to repent. But if you hate this thing and you want to get out, beloved, talk to someone. Find a spiritual leader that's mature in the Lord 
that will love you, that will, that will without shame listen to you and talk to them. Give your time to things that are healthy and holy and, and, and good with Christian friends and spend time with Jesus every day. You cannot underestimate. You cannot underestimate the power there is in that. I want to tell you a personal story, and then we're going we're gonna to close. Because I think this is, this is really important, and it leads into just how I would like to close out the service from, from here. I, I never was addicted to pornography. I thank God for that. But I had my, my struggles as a young single man. And, uh, you know, the last time I looked at it haunted me for a long time because I had just returned from doing half a year in Africa as a missionary. I was about to start teaching at, at Summit. And they said, take a month off. You know, you've been away for half a year. You're tired. See your family and, and just rest and we'll see you. Uh, and we'll see you after that month is over. And I was very grateful, but during that time, I got very undisciplined with my spiritual life. I got really lackadaisical. And I was just, there was one, I was on the computer innocently, not looking for anything. And this ad just popped up. And it was like meat hooks just sank into my heart and into my mind. And I had to click. And I did. And here I am. I'm realizing I just came back from doing missions work. For the last five months, I did nothing but preach the gospel. I prayed with witch doctors. I, I evangelized Muslims. I, I saw, I, I got to pray for people who had diseases that you would never see in American hospitals. Like I've given my life away for the kingdom of God for the past half a year of my life. I'm about to go start teaching theology and ministry and Bible uh, in, in this school and I'm defaulting to this. It haunted me. And after a few days of trying to prove to God how sorry I was, I eventually felt a little better about myself. And, and that's not the way it's supposed to work, by the way. I, I went back to the school, and I remember just reviewing the, the employee handbook and the student handbook and uh, just being haunted by the pages where it discussed, you know, private integrity for employees, private integrity for students, and how the, the possession and or usage of pornography can, can be grounds for serious consequence. And every time I would see that or there would be discussion of it, I would hear this voice, you don't belong here. God's going to expose you. You are a phony. You have no right to be talking to these students about this. You saw God do incredible things, and now look at you. Look what you did. And it haunted me for a long time. And, you know, even though I, I didn't look at, at pornography again after that, thank God, I, I still had struggle. I was, I was young, single, at peak sexuality. And if you don't think that that matters or makes a difference in your struggles, you've got a lot to learn about the sacredness of the body, you know? And I still struggled with lust. I did. It was hard. I hated it. I was not okay with it, but I still dealt with it. And I remember one time just so fed up with myself. I'm the theology teacher. I'm telling students how to live their lives, what to believe about God. And here I am, I still struggle with this, this issue. And one day I just went out to the fields, just frustrated, angry at myself. And I'm yelling at heaven saying, where's the freedom? What does it look like? How does it come? What do I need to do? I prayed till I'm blue in the face. And, and finally, just in frustration, I threw my hands up and I said, you know what? Maybe I'm just not meant to be a man of God. Maybe I'm just going to be like one of those, I'm just going to be a lackluster Christian for the rest of my life. I'll never rise. I've peaked. I've spiritually peaked. This is it. And I still don't fully know how to describe what happened next. I really don't. But the best way I think I can communicate it is, is this. It was as if, it was as if Jesus showed up and like he put his finger in my chest and said, don't you ever 
say things about you that I would not say about you. Don't you ever say things about you that I would not say about you. That moment changed me. I will never be the same because of that moment that he had with me out in the field that day. I was lost. I'm telling you, I was just so frustrated. I was ready to throw in the towel. I, I was convinced that, you know, I'm, I'm going to get some kind of judgment. I'm, to whom much is given, much is... All those things are just flying through my mind. And he shows up, and of all the things he could tell me, he tells me I'm forgiven. Of all the things he could tell me, he tells me I'm clean. I will never get over that. I will never get over that. And I'm hoping that today... Everyone in this room who's struggling, everyone in this room who's battling can have a similar moment. Look, if you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, I don't care what you're struggling with, you are clean. You are pure in the master's eyes. I, I, I've had to tell two people in the past week, I've had to tell two people the same thing in the past week. And these are precious saints. Both of them were just precious saints who love Jesus, but they don't know how to deal with themselves. They're learning that. I just said, I had to tell them, look, do you know what compromise is? And they said, no. Both of them, I said, compromise is when you are trying to live at peace with two opposite things at the same time. That's compromise. A Christian who loves God, they know whose side they're on, but they just, they don't know how to fully get over there. They're trying to. They, they hate the pull over here, but they're just trying to break. That's not compromise. That's called Christian growth. That's the process of sanctification. The Holy Spirit's working in you. Do not give up. Do not throw in the towel. Stay in the fight because God's not done with you. It's when you're trying to live at peace with it. It's when you're telling yourself that it's acceptable. It's okay. No, you're on dangerous ground. Do not go there. You are endangering yourself spiritually. Do not go there. God is never okay with us willfully indulging in sin. It is always dangerous. The book of James in the New Testament tells us that lust brings forth sin and sin when it's mature brings forth death. Sin is always dangerous. But again, this is always in a context of people who are trying to live two lives at the same time. If you know whose side you're on, you're clean. You're forgiven. And God has all the patience in the world for you. I'd like to invite us to stand. I'm, I'm not going to give an, an altar call today because I don't want people wrestling with the battle of... This is really open. Do I come down for this? Look, because we're not out to embarrass people. That's not what this is. So I'm asking us to have a few moments as we worship. And after we're done worshiping, I want to come back and say a general prayer. I want to encourage you to really reflect. Do you need to have some repentance with the Lord today? If the answer is yes, you need to do it. Don't leave anything. Don't walk out of here with anything unfinished. Don't walk out of here with secrets today. Don't walk out of here telling yourself that God's okay with it. No, don't do that. If you want the power of pornography broken over your life, then you cry out to Jesus. You ask him to do it. He knows. He's not ashamed of you. So you can stop being ashamed of yourself. If you know people, loved ones, that, that, that are struggling with this, that are gripped by this, pray for them if it's not your issue. Then pray for someone whose issue it is. If, if you have a spouse, especially married people, I encourage you, take the next few moments. You fight for your spouse. Fight for them. Get vicious with the devil and fight for them. And let's believe God to do the miraculous today. Holy Spirit, we invite you, O oh God, to renew our minds. Lord, we invite you now to come and put your finger on every pattern of thinking. 
Lord, everything in our will and desires, everything about our understanding of right and wrong that is not in agreement with you. God, we bend our knee to you today. And Lord, we are looking for your transformative power. Lord, we want you, oh God, to let your changing power be unleashed in our our lives, oh God. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today, Lord, whether they're in this house or they're online and they know this is their battle, God. They want to see the power of pornography broken over their lives. They're, They're tired of being held in its grip. We rebuke that wicked, wicked spirit in the name of Jesus. And we command it to let go of your people. Jesus, I thank you that you have already given your people. You have given your children, O God, all things that pertain to life and godliness. You have already given them. It's their spiritual inheritance. It's not something they will receive. It is something that's already been given. Second Peter chapter 1 tells us that in him we have been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. And Lord, everything we need to break free from sin, everything we need to break free from addiction, it's already been given to us by the Spirit of God. Lord, our experience of that power might vary from person to person, but God, we need to go deeper. Lord, take us in, Jesus. Let us see the reality of that promise. Lord, we need to see the supernatural power of God work in our lives, Lord. Jesus, when we see what what this kind of sin is doing to us, even the way it's altering us in our our thinking and our behavior and our brains, God, we need a miracle, Lord. God, our, our behavior literally needs to be modified. Our brains need to be reprogrammed. But God, you're able, Lord. We will not elevate the power of a sin above the power of your promises, God. We will not lift it up above you, Lord. We exalt you as greater and stronger, O God. Lord Jesus, we cry out for freedom to be brought. Lord, I pray that you would change, oh Jesus. Change, oh God, our culture, Lord. Jesus, let there be free people in churches across the United States, Lord. Don't let this bondage find its way into the house of God anymore. God, let this, let this house, oh God, let Times Square Church, let Summit Community Church, Lord, let, let North Jersey, oh God, let them be houses of healing and deliverance for people that are, that are bound by this thing, oh God. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, make us vessels of freedom. Make us vessels of deliverance, oh God. Lord, that we believe, Lord Jesus. And God, let it not just be, Father, that that it's because we expect that, well, the miraculous will happen. No, let it even be because we love one another the way we're supposed to. That's a command, oh God. We're commanded to stir one another up to do good works. We're commanded to take hold of our brother and sister's hands and say, I'll walk you through this thing. I'll go on this road with you. You're not alone in this battle. You can call me. You can text me if you're struggling hard. I'll pray with you. I'll meet you at at that coffee shop. I'll meet you there. God Almighty, I pray that you would make make us houses of brotherly love, Lord, because brotherly love is one of the ways that you deliver from sin. It's one of the ways that you bring us out of bondage. Lord, don't let us neglect that, oh God. We will pray. God, we will preach. Oh, Jesus, we'll depend on you for your, for your power in every way, oh God. But Lord, let us not forget the power of love, the power of brotherly love, oh God. Jesus, I pray that no one in this room would feel too ashamed to reach out for help. God, let no one feel too ashamed to reach out for help. God, I thank you for those who, who have, Lord, I, God, just even the brother that... that contacted me online recently just God thank you for his courage Lord 
God, thank you for the courage of everyone in this room that's, that's dared to reach out and say, I'm struggling, can you help me? God, let them see, let them see your power unlocked in their lives, God, because of their obedience to your word. Father, give us the courage to get rid of things that, that subject us easily to temptation. God, we're leaning on you. And Lord, I thank you that you are not ashamed of your struggling children, God. You are not ashamed of them. Lord, I thank you that they're clean. I thank you that they're pure, they're forgiven in your eyes, oh God. And Lord, you're gonna do the work. You're gonna do the work, oh God. And Lord, if there is anyone just in compromise, God, they're, they're holding on to two things that just don't go together. Lord, convict them. God, give them the strength to let go and to come home to you. Give them the strength to do what must be done, oh God, so that they can live the life that you intended for them. Jesus, we love you, and I ask your blessing on, on my family here now. In your precious name, amen and amen.